This morning, we are going to be taking a look at what the Bible has to tell us about mercy and what our responsibility as the people of God have to show mercy. Um, and, and our text today is, is going to be in James chapter 1, but I actually first, to introduce our text, I want to look at another one very quickly. Uh, if you will, please, will you turn to Titus chapter 3? Um, if we are to understand what our responsibility as is to be merciful, we must first understand the mercy that we have received from our Heavenly Father. Uh, mercy is a a major theme through the Bible. In fact, you could, you could sum up the gospel and that God has mercy on his people. So mercy is a very central part of the gospel. And Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 8, I think gives us a, a wonderful definition, a wonderful picture of what mercy is for us. Mercy from our heavenly father. So let's go there. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom out on us he sorry, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And what are those good works? These things are excellent and profitable for people. What is the mercy that God has on us? He came to us when we were poor and poured out his riches on us. We were dead in sin, as poor as you can possibly be. Yet he sent his son to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that our sin deserved, so that we may be declared righteous. God came to the poor and made them rich. That's ours as the people of God. We are made spiritually rich. But then we see in verse 8 that there's a response to that. There's a purpose for that mercy. There's a result of that mercy. Let's look at verse 8 again. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. God is merciful to us so that we will be merciful to others. Now, we do not have the same riches that the Father has. We cannot save people. We cannot make people spiritually rich. But we do draw from that richness. And we are equipped and enabled. And the mercy of the Father flows into us and out of us into the world. And our passage today in James, if you want to go ahead and turn there, James chapter 1. It's just a couple of pages over. James chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We're going to see how we are called to live out a life of mercy, to be merciful people. Now, the book of James is a very straightforward, hit you right between the eyes kind of book. Um, and and what, what is being called out is religious hypocrisy, claiming something but doing another, 
claiming something but not believing it in your heart. And so that's what we see here is James is giving us a very practical, um, almost litmus test of is your faith real? So let's look at this. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. The word religion can carry a lot of connotation to it. Um, Religion can have a very negative connotation. And at times the Bible does use it somewhat in a way of a negative connotation. When we think of religion, we think of procedures. We think of putting on a show, of doing these type of things. But religion, in its pure form, is a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And the outworkings of that relationship in our lives and in our communities and in our responsibilities. Uh, Pastor Wheat often uh, prays, let me turn from all the things that I have called religion. The things that have convinced us that I'm religious and let us turn to what is true, pure, the relationship with God. And that's what's happening here. He's calling out that procedural religious idea. um, idea. So here's what we see here. False religion is procedures that appear godly yet do not cause or affect any heart change. There is no heart change. The result of religious observance without heart change is a life that is unmerciful. A life that lacks mercy. This is one of the greatest uh, charges that Jesus brings against the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that time. He says, you know the Bible. You can quote me the right answers, yet you are unmerciful in your life. It has not taken root. You've missed the point. Mercy. True religion, a relationship with the Heavenly Father that trusts upon the mercy that you have received in His grace. The result of that is mercy. A merciful life, a merciful understanding. The mercy of our Father, who is rich in mercy, flows into us and changes us. And this passage tells us three ways, it kind of gives us the process of this. The process by which we are transformed by mercy. We see the mercy of the Father transforms our heart. It transforms our words. And finally transforms our actions. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, Let me pray for us once more and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be merciful to us. May we cry out for your mercy day in, day out. Let it be the theme of our lives that you are and continue to be merciful to us. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now, open our ears, soften our hearts, that we would not simply hear your word, but we would receive it and be transformed by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So mercy. At the heart. How does mercy, the mercy of the Father, transform our heart? 
before we receive the mercy of our Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, in our heart we are spiritually poor. In fact, we are spiritually dead. Sin has severed the relationship with our Heavenly Father, and it has left us empty. It has left a void that was meant to be filled with the Father, but is no longer filled. And the result of that sin was shame. If you think back to the creation account, the first thing Adam and Eve did after they sinned is they covered themselves. They were shamed. They experienced shame. And all of a sudden, they needed to hide themselves. Because that's what sin does. It turns us inward. It draws us down upon ourselves. Because we're filled with shame and fear and vulnerability. And we see this being played out in our world. We're desperate to fill that void. We're desperate to figure out what's wrong. The world knows something's wrong. Everybody does. The world's just confused on what that void is supposed to be filled with. And here's the result when that void happens in our life. Is that when we are not filling that with the Father, when we are not receiving the mercy of the Father, life becomes survival of the fittest. Life becomes survival of the fittest. I have to take care of myself. I've got to protect myself. In that mindset, showing mercy is dangerous and almost foolish because it's leaving yourself vulnerable. Now, in a a world outside of, of war and extreme turmoil, we're probably not thinking that. We're probably not actually processing that way, but that's kind of what it happens, right? I can't be merciful to you because I don't even have enough for myself. I don't have anything to give you. Mercy is dangerous and foolish in a world without the Father. But Titus 3 tells us that in the Father, through the work of Jesus Christ, that we are made rich. We are filled. That void overflows with the Holy Spirit. He talks about in that time passage how he pours out the Holy Spirit on us richly. In fact, the Bible tells us in other places that the Spirit flow, overflows because we are so full of the richness of God. And when we know that, when that void is filled in our heart, we're able to begin to draw up. We're able to stop looking down upon ourselves. So as I was preparing this lesson, I did a lot of hand motions as I was thinking through it. I said I wasn't going to do a lot, but apparently I already am. So you're going to get lots of hand motions today. Um, But that's what happens. Think about that. Think about um, when someone is having a bad day. You wake up some days, and it's just going to be a bad day. You're not feeling good. Your clothes aren't fitting quite right. You're in a, you know, how are you going to walk around? You walk around like this. You walk around like this, head down, clothes within ourselves. And that's what we do. But then someone whom you care about, someone whom you love, does something or says something nice to you. It's uplifting. And you open your body up. You open yourself up. Right? Because you've received something. And you're able to to walk a little more confidently. This is what the Holy Spirit does. 
He fills us so that we no longer have to be confined in our own void. It lifts us. It lifts our chin. It causes us. We, and what we realize in a world of survival of the fittest, we have been declared the fittest. You are rich, wealthy beyond all imagination. Your victory is guaranteed. You don't have to fight tooth and nail anymore in this world. And when we know that that's the reality in our heart, that that equips us and makes us able to begin looking outward instead of dwelling inward. Now here's the thing about the reality of, of this void. When your head is down, when you're drawn within yourself because of the, sh- the shame of sin, you're unable to truly see other people. You're unable to truly see other people for who they are or what they're feeling or experiencing because you're so in on yourselves. And you can only just kind of imagine what other people are thinking or doing or experiencing. And of course we think, They've got it better. They're doing better than me. Um, an illustration came to mind for, for how this, I've, I've seen this kind of work out. Uh, I work with teenagers a lot, and um, have you all heard of cell phones? They're pretty big nowadays. We, we've all got them, right? And think about when you have a cell phone. Where are you drawn to your cell phone? Is it up and out? It's down and in, Right? We're kind of drawn into that. And it is not abnormal to walk into a room of teenagers and sometimes adults where everyone is sitting there, heads down, phone, right? Closing ourselves off from everybody. This is not a sermon about cell phones. I'm not going there. This is just an illustration. But what are we doing there? We're being drawn inward. Now, we may be looking at social media. We may be looking at pictures of other people. We may even be interacting with other people. But the thing about social media is that the way that we interact with those people is a lie. It's not totally true. It's a very controlled beautification of the way that we want to present everybody else. So you're looking at that cell phone. You're looking at that social media like, why isn't my life as satisfying as that? Why am I not that beautiful? Why am I not that happy and satisfied? Because we're drawn in. We're not actually really seeing people. But then when we put that phone down... And we actually interact with people. It's funny, you put your head up and you look around and you start to see those people that you thought lived these perfect, flawless lives are down and drawn in within themselves too. This is what sin does to us. It convinces us that we're nothings and everyone else is better than us. But the Holy Spirit changes that. The mercy of the Father changes that and he lifts us he lifts our head when we know that our heart is filled richly with the mercy of the father we're equipped to lift our head up and look at the rest of the world and the rest of people it's the heart level when we know this true in our heart it begins to transform our words And our text here talks about that. He says, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, there is a very distinct connection between the condition or the status of our heart and the words of our mouth. The Bible has this in very many places. 
the connection between our words. And I want, and I, and I want this to, not, not just the words that we say, but words external and internal. You talk to yourself all day long, right? You're talking to yourself with words in your head. So what are your thoughts there? When our hearts, when our heart is rich, when it's full, we are freed and enabled to see people not as enemies or competition. We're freed from that survival of the fittest mentality when we know that we're secured. And what we begin to see in other people is that they're not competition. They're not people to be, to be battled against, but they rather are fellow image bearers of God. Genesis tells us that all people, man and woman, were created in the image of God. We uniquely reflect him from the rest of creation. And every single person ever is an image bearer of God and is worthy of the honor of being an image bearer of God. And you see there this this word honor. I want to focus on that. Because who does this text single out as the people who need to receive mercy? It's the orphans and the widows. Now, we have to understand during the context of that time, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable in society. Family structure was very important. Women could not work. Children could not work. Uh, they were not able to gain wages. They were not able to make money. They were not able to provide for themselves. So if a woman did not have a husband and did not have a family, not only could she not make her own money, but she was a, she was a burden upon other, someone else. She had nothing to offer. She was worthless by the world's standards of survival as the fittest. Same with children. Children can't work. Children can't earn. So who are we called to reach out to? The poor, the vulnerable, those that are deemed unvaluable by society or by the sin of our heart. And that's why that word honor is very important. There's value in our honor, right? What does it mean to honor something or someone? It means to hold in high esteem. But often we don't honor others in our words or with our words and in our thoughts. Mercy with our words and with our thoughts begins with seeing and honoring all people as fellow image bearers of God. Men and women created in the image of God. God. So here's a little bit of a litmus test of when we are talking or thinking about other people or other situations that we have had. Which way is the honor flowing? When you're thinking about other people, when you're talking about other people, which direction is the honor flowing? Outward towards that person? Or is it inward trying to be honorable to yourself? To reflect your own honor. Let me give you a little bit of an example. Uh, a lot of times when, you, when you're preparing for a sermon and 
you uh, are struggling and working through something, God kind of sends a little bolt to convict you uh, of his word. This happens a lot. And that happened. Uh, we were at uh, Against the Flow yesterday. The senior high went to Against the Flow. Um, I came home early, and dear Devin came and took my place last night, and then even made it here to church this morning, so he's good. Um, but I was meeting, I was finished, I was just doing a little bit of sermon prep, and then I ran into a couple of people who I've known for a very long time, and we began to kind of talk about our mutual uh, acquaintances of people that we knew. And someone came up who uh, was in seminary and who was, who was training to be a pastor and, and preaching and teaching a lot. And the conversation turned to this individual possibly having a weakness in their teaching or in their style. And I began to kind of pile on. I was like, oh yeah, I remember when, you know, in seminary, this is something he may have struggled with and something. And then I saw, I, I just finished this lesson. I was like, wait a minute. What am I doing? Now, were the words that I was saying about this person physically hurting him? If he never heard about this conversation, which I don't think he will, is that affecting him in any way, shape, or form? No, but I did not honor him. I denigrated him in an effort to honor myself because deep down in in my heart, what was I doing? I was putting down his teaching ability because I wanted to feel better about myself. My words were trying to make honor flow to me. Does that make sense? The honor was flowing inward, not outward. Mercy, with our words and with our thoughts, is a flowing outward of honor towards others. Are our thoughts, are our words seeking to honor the people we're talking about? But here's the thing, too, is the tie to our heart. The passage here says, verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, a bridle. What is a bridle? That's, that's the part of, uh, that you put on a horse that you use to guide them, right? It's this, the straps that kind of go around and you have the handles and if you want the horse to turn left, you pull. Now that bridle doesn't necessarily hurt, right? It just guides. Well, our heart is the bridle of our tongue. And in that moment, when I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, my heart bridled my tongue. Did it not? I began to go in the the wrong direction. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, challenged me and convicted me, and it pulled me back. So don't see this passage and say that a Christian never slips up with their thoughts or their hearts. You're going to. But your heart can draw you back when you know the richness of God's mercy in your heart. You don't have to seek the inflowing of honor. You're free to, to, to send that honor out. Now we can also go down the trap and say, well, I'm not actively trying to go and seek to dishonor people. I'm not actively trying to go out and and dishonor someone whom I don't know very well, or the homeless, or the poor, or the people in our society that would be considered less valuable. Well, James speaks to that just a couple uh, chapters later. Chapter 4, verse 17, he says... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There is the sin of inactivity. And this is where it gets, gets convicting. 
It is very easy for us to discount people or to find excuses to not make an effort to extend mercy. And deep down inside, when we do this, we dishonor people. I have found myself at times when looking at people who who appear to need mercy to think, well, they brought this on themselves. How often have you thought that about someone? Maybe not even someone who is necessarily in society. Someone is experiencing consequences in your thought process as well. They brought that on themselves. Now, that may be true. Our actions do have consequences. But, does someone experiencing the consequences of their actions, does that eliminate them from receiving the honor of being an image bearer? No. Of course it does not. But that's what we do. Well, I'll speak for myself. That's what I do. I want to find a way to justify my feelings of dishonor. Well, that homeless person obviously chose drugs over family and home. They don't deserve my help. Now, I may not necessarily say those words, but I may feel that in my heart. One of the, I've read several um, articles or I've seen a couple of videos that just kind of interact with homeless people or people who, uh, you know, have to stand on the side of the road and beg or, or have to sleep on the sidewalk. And they said one of the most painful things that happens to them is the lack of human connection. And you think about that. If there is someone who is, you know, leaning against the wall, dirty, disheveled, part of our human well, I won't say human nature, part of our sinful nature is to avoid, is to shun, is to kind of give a wide berth to. Or when there's someone standing on the, on the highway as you pull up, kind of roll up your window, don't make eye contact. Every time we do that, that person is devalued. That person is dishonored. I say people, some of those interviewers say, people don't even see me as a person anymore. They don't want to make eye contact with me. Because they're devalued as individuals. They're devalued as image bearers of God. Well, I'll continue. I'll go that there. Where are your words? Where does your honor flow? Where do your thoughts flow? What ways do we convince ourselves to not take action? When we know in our heart that we're rich, our words and our thoughts are slowly transformed and we're free to do more of that. And who in our society is devalued? Well, James talks about this too. If we go back to our text in chapter 1, and he says, um, verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, And to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then he actually goes on to show what it looks like to be stained by the world. And it's favoritism. It's partiality. Let me read this. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, 
And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Favoritism, partiality. Who do we choose to honor? The sin of favoritism is honoring those who can honor you back. Honoring those who can give you something. That is the way of the world. In a survival of the fittest, you're going to, to, to side up next to someone who can be of benefit to you. This is a very specific example of a rich man walking in and a poor man walking in. Well, who has the most to offer me? The rich man. I choose to honor him and dishonor him. That's what the world does. But again, that's because they're trying to fill the void. They are not rich. True mercy. Our definition of mercy is true, pure mercy is honoring and giving without expecting anything in return. And this doesn't just mean financially. This means emotionally and spiritually as well. There may be people in your life who are lonely but are difficult to talk to. You have a responsibility to give to them without expecting in return. To speak to them and be willing to, expect, to, to accept what may feel awkward to you. Mercy is costly. True mercy is costly. We see that modeled in the mercy that's sent to us through the Father. Our mercy came at the cost of the death of Jesus Christ. And because the curse of sin is still over or in the land, we still are living in sinful vessels in a sinful world. Unfortunately, it's costly to show mercy. It comes at an expense to yourself. And that's why we are reminded of the riches we have in our heart. Our destination is set. Our worth is perfect because God the Father sees Jesus in us. But here's the thing. Mercy is not only a responsibility, but it's a blessing. To be merciful is a blessing. And part of that is is because our Father is merciful. And we're created in His image. What's good for Him is good for us. Being merciful nourishes you as well, even in that cost. Uh, I just want—I wanted to do this. Please just raise your hand quickly if you have ever been on any type of mission trip or mission event, anything like. Just lots of hands. Good, wonderful. I want you to think about those experiences when you go on this mission trip. A lot of times those mission trips are hard. You travel or you have to go to a place where it's not necessarily comfortable. Uh, it can be awkward. It can be hot. It can be cold. It can be push you way outside of your comfort zone. And you're tired and you're exhausted. But when you come home, 
Or when you're there, you are so satisfied. Why is that? Well, one, because we are doing what we were created to do, being merciful, sharing mercy, giving to those who cannot give back. But think about what we do to prepare for a mission trip. We have lived our lives in a way that prepares us to focus on mercy for that given time. You lived your life in such a way to devote that time to mercy. You probably raised the money to go there. You cleared your calendar to free away any distractions and things that get in the way. How are we living our lives in a way to facilitate mercy? Now again, mercy doesn't have to be grand. Mercy can be very, very small. Sometimes the smallest mercy can create the biggest momentum in someone's life. James tells us if you know what is right and you do not do it, you're sinning. It's, simply, it's not simply enough to say, well, I'm not unmerciful to people. Our Father came to us to extend his mercy to us. He calls us to do the same. Romans 12, 9 through 13 says, you are called to outdo one another in showing honor. To outdo one another. To compete with the honor that you can show one another. That's kind of a strange thing to think about. But, but it also says, contribute to the needs of others and to practice hospitality. Hospitality. That, Southerners, we get hospitality, Right? Hospitality. What is, what is hospitality? True hospitality is bringing someone in. Bringing someone into your life, into your home, into your comfort zone. So what does it mean to extend mercy? What does it mean to support mercy? Give. Support. Use the money. Use the riches that God has given to you. And we're not all rich by the world's standards, but we have some. Give. Support these ministries. This is why we support the ministries that we do. So that you can see what's going on. It may not always be beneficial to hand a dollar out the window, but you can put that dollar to a, to a person in a ministry that's equipped to give people what they need. Maybe not necessarily what they want. Give to one of our ministries because you know that they're going to go to the good works. But not only are we called to give to mercy, we're called to do mercy. Do mercy. Now that's hard sometimes. Right? It can be intimidating to go to uncomfortable places. Right? I, I don't necessarily know how to minister to a homeless person. So go to one of these ministries that knows how. Go with them. Let them go with you and protect you and show you how to do it and teach you. And over time, it will become comfortable. Go with someone. And another way in which you can actively be doing ministry is to be praying for our ministries. To be praying for the, the mercy, ministry, mercy ministries we support to the people that they will be interacting with, to the people of our community that they would receive the gospel as they hear these things. 
Um, Brad mentioned before uh, our, the yard sale, the garage sale that we're doing to support physically, to give money to our Mercy Ministries. We need you to do in that. And that is a very practical way. If you're looking for a very easy, simple, practical way, please sign up to be a part of our yard sale next Saturday. A small amount can make a big momentum. Do mercy. See, here's, here's what, we're, what I want to close with. The mercy of Jesus Christ. As, as, as I told you, I was doing a lot of hand motions, Right? We start here, turned in. Our heart, the knowledge in our heart is able to lift our face up. We receive a new truth and then we're kind of sent forth within that. Think about the mercy that Jesus showed to people while he was on earth. What did he do? To the man that cannot walk, he says, stand up. Your sins are forgiven, now go. That's that three-step process, right? Be lifted up out of your and that your, your pain and your suffering. Know that you are now saved. Now go. We're here. We're here. Now go. That, that is the gospel. And that's what is mercy. Our Heavenly Father lifts our head. He speaks truth to our heart and He sends us forth. Our Father today is telling us, Know my mercy. Trust in my mercy. Now go do my mercy. May we be doers of mercy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your great love that you have for us. Lord, Though there, there are times that we do not feel rich. There are times that we feel empty. But I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill the void that sin and shame had left. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and convince us of how rich we are in your love and how set our future is so that we may, in turn, pour out of that richness into our society. Lord, transform our hearts, transform our thoughts and our minds that we may honor the people in our lives with our words and our thoughts and our actions. Above all else, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.